welcome to the very first episode of the APOG podcast. I'm the show's host and creator, Morgan Bechtel. Now, if you listen to our intro episode, you'll know that on this podcast, I'll be reviewing popular women's health topics and diving into some medical history. But for today, our very first episode, I wanted to do something a little special to celebrate APOG's 30th anniversary. So I reached out to current president, Melissa Rodriguez, and asked her to tell me a little bit about the founding of APOG. And boy, did she do me one better. She put me in touch with the actual founders of APOG. So today, you'll be hearing from three of the original founders of APOG, Linda Burdett, Barbara Clark, and Rebecca Lehman. We'll learn about how APOG got started all those years ago and about the women who got it off the ground. Also, stay tuned at the end of the episode to learn about an old APOG newsletter segment called Tales from the Vagina. I promise you, you won't want to miss this. Well, I won't give you any more than that, so listen close as we dive into the APOG origins. Hello, ladies, and thank you so much for being here and taking the time to speak with me. Now, in honor of APOG's 35th anniversary, I wanted to talk to you all about the founding of APOG and you know what those early years were like. But before we do that, why don't we all introduce ourselves and you know tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Rebecca, uh, why don't you go first? Sure. Um, I'm Rebecca Lehman, and um, I have practiced in OBGYN since the very beginning of my career. Um, my first job was at a group private practice in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I stayed there um, for most of my career. Because of a move in 2004, um, I left the state. My husband and I moved to Atlanta, and from that time, I taught in a couple of different PA programs. Um, teaching women's health, so I have a little experience um, with students. And I'm currently retired and live in North Carolina, quite happily in the mountains. Um, And I'm enjoying all kinds of crafts and outdoor activities, and it's it's great. Being a PA was wonderful. Being retired is also wonderful. Well, that certainly gives us something to look forward to. Now, Linda, why don't you tell us about yourself? Uh, My name is Linda Burdett. I graduated from the University of Iowa program, practiced in uh, the the, uh, urology, prostate cancer uh, for a year. I was in a family medicine program, then in Pennsylvania, and then I came to Washington. All of those moves were because of my husband's career. And there I made babies and then uh, practiced uh, correctional health for five years in the county jail. And then I got into women's health and was very pleased to work for OB-GYNs for the next 30 years. I also taught through the MedEx program and uh, through a AAPA speaker program with uh, Becky and Barb. Uh, And uh, I retired a year and a half ago. And I'm now taking up pickleball as my new avocation. Oh, that's awesome. I will pick your brain about pickleball later. I have heard many a healthcare provider try to convince me to join, and it seems like it's fun. 
But I don't want to take away from Barb's time. Barb, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I met these lovely ladies um, at, the, at the, about the same time that we started APOG, actually. Although Linda and I did know each other because we attended the same program, the University of Iowa. I was in the class um, before her. Uh, I have kind of a fun story because I have an identical twin sister who went to undergrad at, the, at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa. Linda went there also. Um, Linda came to the first program, you know, at the beginning of the, uh, the year, we would have a kickoff for this, um, for the two classes, and we would both be there. And Linda came up to me and said, Bonnie, don't you remember? We took chemistry class together or something. I'm like, oh, I think you're talking about. Oh, my, my gosh. <laughs> Bonnie. So anyway, we all three became great friends after that. So that was fun. Um, I was actually in the second official class, or first full-size class, but the second official class at the University of Iowa. So um, Linda and I were kind of trendsetters back then, too. It was really interesting. Most of the students in my class were men. There were only four women, and now it's actually the opposite. It, the majority are women. So um, it's kind of interesting how things do change. But I've practiced for 38 years. Um, mostly in OBGYN. Um, I did have a little stint in family practice, but I also did um, lots of uh, OBGYN during that time. I was back in the old days when family practitioners still did OB. And so the physician that I worked with um, was doing obstetrics. So I got to continue doing that. So it was a lot of fun. Um, and then I also got an opportunity to, to teach in, um, as adjunct faculty in a couple uh, programs here in Illinois where I moved to. And um, and I also retired uh, in 2012, actually. So, um, and my best retirement job ever is to be a grandmother, just in time to have five grandchildren. So um, that keeps me busy because they're- Oh my gosh, congrats. My, my grandparents always said that being a grandparent is so much better than being a parent. <laughs> It is the best job you'll ever retire to. Well, that was actually a perfect little introduction into what we're going to start talking about, which is how did you you all meet each other? Sounds like, like you said, Barb, you and Linda went to you know same PA program. Um, Becky, how did you meet Linda and Barb? Um, I met Barb, I think, um, at one of the AAPA conferences where we would meet as a region. And because I was in Wisconsin and Barb in Illinois, we were both in the North Central region. And um, I had been president of the Wisconsin Academy and Barb had been president of the Illinois Academy. So we met each other, I think, at one of those regional meetings. And um, through Barb, I um, was lucky enough to meet Linda. And uh, we've been friends for a long time. So it was one of the best, if not the best, benefit of starting APAOG was that I got to involve two really good friends. Exactly. And I remember, well, Rebecca, uh, Becky will tell this story about putting up the flyer. I remember when Becky and I were talking after having met, we thought we we're the only two PAs in the world. Oh, that my gosh. And we actually <laughs> found out there were many more. We really didn't think there was that many PAs in OBGYN because um, we were the only two we had met at that point. Um, we just both happened to be involved in other things, so we met. And then, but then the rest wow. is history. 
And that's definitely the the history I want to dive into. So you you mentioned a flyer being involved. So tell me a little bit about this. All happened at a at a AAPA conference, correct? Correct. Right. It happened in um, 1991, and I was on the constituent relations committee of the AAPA. I I don't know honestly if that committee still exists, but um, some of the specialty. Um, some of the medical and surgical specialties had started to organize um, as constituent chapters of the AAPA. And I thought, well, why not have an OBGYN group? So um, talked to Barb, and you know, the only other PA I knew in OBGYN, and was able to get a room at the conference. I think it was towards the end of the conference and it was way out of the way, you know, in a whole different building. And we were wondering if anybody would show up and we're surprised that we did actually get some people who came and they also thought they were the only PS wow. in OBGYN. <laughs> so right. it was all, it was really um, one of those moments where, you realize that you're not all by yourself and that there were some other people that you could talk to who had had similar um, experiences. So the rest um, kind of evolved from that point. And by the next year, um, we had a constitution and bylaws and I had paid the $10 fee so that we could incorporate as a nonprofit non-stock corporation in Wisconsin. So by the next year in Nashville, we actually had a meeting and an organization and then elected officers and it just took off. From wow. There. Now, now Linda, where were you during this time? I had just started in OBGYN in Yakima in uh, Washington in 1991 and it was a couple of years before, it seemed like it was when Barb became president that we were conversing more and she needed more board members on her presidency for her board. And uh, so I joined and became the president or became the t- treasurer. Oh all my gosh. Day. <laughs> Jumped right in. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think we did that a lot. Yeah, we did. Right. You had to train your replacements, right? You had to recruit your replacements. I think Becky too. At those first meetings, did we? Did we? Um, I probably not at the very first one, but I think we started adding refreshments. That seemed to increase the uh, attendance. As I recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. On the West Coast, we don't always make it to the national meetings because so many of the meetings are on the East Coast, and it it just seemed to take so much more time and dealing with jet lag. And so I didn't I didn't really start coming into national meetings uh, until a few years later, which is why then you know I I start I became active with APOG. But but then you came all the time. <laughs> yeah. Correct. <laughs> we just made her put up with the jet lag. We gave her a half a day to recoup. 
our, our dues that first year, Morgan, were $25. Mm-hmm. So it was $25 to join. And um, we got a grant from Ortho Pharmaceuticals to um, put out the first newsletter. And the grant was big enough that we had extra money that we could use to, um, you know, actually buy, you know, paper and <laughs> pay for a few other things. So that really helped us get yeah, off so the that's, ground. Yeah, so that brings up, a, I guess, a really good point is getting into the, the details of what that first year and what starting the, the organization was like. I, I, I imagine that, you know, you meet these other group of practicing PAs and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not the only one doing this. And then realizing you have this idea, but going from idea to actuality must have been quite the feat. It was, um, it was an interesting process. And it was made somewhat more difficult by the fact that back then, um, without email or um, even the ability really to easily set up a conference call, Everything was done, you know, through mail and fax. And our first newsletter, um, I still have a copy of because one of the hats I ended up with was historian. So um, I have the first newsletter, which came out in spring of 92. And it is just typed um, on paper. And then it was photocopied and mailed out. And the entire constitution and bylaws was inserted into the middle along with a membership form. And by spring of 92, we had 157 wow. members. From, from all over the U.S.? From all over the U.S. And a lot of them worked in OBGYN, but we also had a fair number who were in family practice and just were, they were interested in OBGYN. And I assume that we still have quite a few members who do a lot of women's health, but aren't necessarily in an OBGYN practice. I think we did have copy machines. We didn't have to use the old mimeograph, but it was close. <laughs> I I remember also AEPA was also really helpful in helping, you know, the specialty organizations get started, although you did have to do things on your own initially as far as finding management services. And we were really fortunate that Becky had such a good relationship with the Wisconsin group that her state academy had been using. And so we used them. Um, In fact, aren't they still using them now to some extent? I think... um, they're still involved anyway. Um, it, it was very helpful to have somebody like that, to have some professional advice on sending out mailings and that sort of thing that we wouldn't have been able to do just by ourselves. Oh, I don't think we could have, um, you know, succeeded without the help of um, the management firm and with AAPA. They were both really instrumental in um, providing um answers to our questions and just help with a lot of the organizational pieces um, of starting a new group. Did you create the bylaws yourself, uh, or did, did, were you able to extrapolate from somebody else's bylaws? I plagiarized heavily from, <laughs> with permission, I will say, with permission, from the Association of 
PAs in cardiovascular surgery. They literally just gave me their bylaws and said, here, you know, maybe you can start with this. And it really helped a lot not to have to recreate the wheel. And just knowing some of the other PAs who were working in specialty, um, in specialty practices and also um, volunteering on the board of specialty PA organizations, that information and that mentoring was very helpful to me. Now, I feel like we've sort of sort of addressed this question, but it sounds like you're you're fairly surprised by the the interest. You know, you put out the flyer and all of a sudden, you know, people people showed up and there was more of an interest than you than you thought. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that experience was like? Um, it was it, it was very um, satisfying to find out that um, you know Barb and I weren't the only ones who felt like you know we were practicing in a bit of a vacuum. So it was nice to know that there were other PAs who um, were willing to volunteer some time and wanted to um, get together with other PAs working in women's health. We, we did, and I'm sure still do, have some unique challenges um, professionally. Our specialty is dominated by nurse practitioners and nurse midwives, and a lot of OBGYNs are familiar with um, advanced practice nurses, but not familiar at all with PAs. If there was a PA in there, PA often worked in orthopedics or cardiovascular surgery or something else, and they just didn't think of PAs in OBGYN. That's right. And I think a lot of the, the um, members that came as response to the flyer or just from word of mouth at, at continuing at the APA conferences, which is really our only chance to get together, um, that a lot of them were in a vacuum as well. I mean, that they were one of or one you know uh, okay oftentimes were practicing by themselves and interest in OBGYN or some were were PA students some were recent graduates who were in one field but really interested in OBGYN and so they came to the meetings to find out how to get into that field um, so I think it was a wonderful opportunity to meet together as a group and kind of share ideas and um, problems concerns and things like that and that's what drew a lot of people to the meetings as well. I think they also were interested in having more um, women's health topics at the AAPA conference. Um, right. And that was an issue that we, um, I think, took head on, you know, from the beginning that we wanted to see topics that were more um, specific to OBGYN and maybe even at a slightly more advanced level than we were getting at the conference at that time. So that was a, a another one of our goals was to um, increase the number of topics and also offer um, a little bit more in-depth coverage of some of those topics. So I think that when we started talking to people, we found that they all you know, kind of felt the same way. And I think in later years, all three of us uh, ended up giving quite a few of the lectures at AAPA, and they were always well-received because we would go into so much clinical detail and 
I think I always had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, thank you. That was exactly That's what great. I needed to learn. Kind of opened up this, this need that they didn't realize that, like you said, not just PAs who are specifically in women's health, but, you know, family practice PAs who, or, you know, in other specialties who either have an interest or just, you know, need to know this for this, for their patients. Exactly. I mean, when the emphasis is primary care, that certainly involves women's health. And it wasn't just obstetrics, it was gynecology and that. And the other thing that oftentimes, as Linda said, people will come up and speak to us because we were immediately then by AAPA Mm -hmm. recruited to be speakers um, um, because it's like we knew what we wanted to hear. We knew what other PAs and OBGYN wanted to hear as well. So I think that that people then and those sessions filled up with and it was way more than 157 people that came. Um, to a lot of those meetings because they just had an interest in, in, in um, just in family practice and primary care. I had an internal medicine resident a few years ago when I was still practicing asked to come and spend a month with me in Yakima. She was actually planning her wedding, which was the reason she wanted to be in Yakima. And this was a way that she could uh, do it and fulfill her commitment. So anyway, after uh, the first morning of having her, and she was a third year internal medicine resident. And after the first morning she was with me, I said, so are you going to learn anything? Because I was a little concerned about having this physician shadow me for a month. And she said, I've learned more women's health this morning than I've learned in two and a half years in my internal medicine residency. So it it was not just PAs. There, There was an awful lot of, uh, providers who were not given adequate exposure. And I think that's what's so issues. important about the, not just the organization and its its role in the PA community, but also, like you mentioned before, a lot of physicians and other healthcare providers are familiar with nurse midwives and nurse practitioners in this field, but a lot of people aren't familiar with PAs in the field. Unfortunately, that's still, I don't think it's maybe as to the extent as it was before, but it's definitely still still the case in, in many different areas. So being able to say, hey, we're PAs, we're practicing in this, it's it's an important topic that affects, you know, gosh, half of the world's population. It's it's important. And in medical medical care it's far more than half because women are the ones <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's very true. The other thing we mm-hmm. did, Morgan, was reach out to the other to other groups like the American College of OBGYN and Association of Reproductive Health Professionals, the North American Menopause Society, the ASRM. I'm take a quick aside to say that ASRM stands for the American Society for Reproductive Medicine. Anyway, back to it. Well, and to give Becky the credit, um, she was involved I'm not quite sure how that came about, Becky, but you were involved with writing that brochure for ACOG for all of their many, many members regarding when we were talking about the difference between nurse practitioners, PAs, and um, nurse midwives, you know, Mm -hmm. what were they all, what was their training like, each separate category, what were they prepared for? It was very well received, and they continue to use that booklet brochure um, to send out to members, and I'm sure it's still done electronically. Uh, for a long time because it it really did help sort of explain it because so many physicians are like I like this idea but I don't really know how it works and they're much more um, likely to then hire a PA then 
or another provider, depending upon what they needed. You know, did they need help with OB only, or did they need somebody to first assist in surgery? Did they need to have someone who would also do gynecology in the office while they were doing surgery? I mean, there was just lots of things, and it really brought PAs to the forefront, even though we are and still remain the minority of um, practitioners in that field. ACOG and AAPA frequently would go to like ACOG uh, exhibit hall and would just answer, you know, we would, we would have a PA there and we would answer questions on all the time on physicians coming up and saying, what, what could I have a PA do in my office? Um, and I think that, I don't know if that's still being done, but I think that had a, a big impact on uh, allowing OBGYNs to recognize PAs in the field. Well, after we formed, um, we talked to AAPA and asked them to reach out to ACOG and see if we could establish a liaison between the AAPA and ACOG. And as a result of that, I think it was in the early 90s that um, they decided to form a task force looking at collaborative practice. The director of education at the time was Hal Lawrence, and he wanted to um, start this discussion about how OBGYNs could best use nurse midwives, nurse practitioners, and PAs. And the timing, I think, was just perfect. And so um, that's how I got on that collaborative practice task force, um, which included representatives, one representative from each of those three groups, and the rest were physicians. And we met for three years and produced that booklet that Barb's referring to. And I think ACOG still uses it. And the really wonderful thing was that it came from ACOG. It didn't come from, you know, APAOG or AAPA or the association that represents nurse practitioners or nurse midwives. It came from them. And I think because of that, um, it's been utilized a lot. And I don't know, maybe it still is. That would be great. Yeah. ACOG also then had seminar. Then they, for a long time, they had seminars with a panel, which um, Becky and I did at one time. I mean, it was an opportunity for us mm -hmm. to be representatives for each of our professions. And they also, I'm not sure if this was ACOG or AAPA, but we did have a formal liaison with ACOG. Uh, where a member from our organization, AAPA, but of course it would be someone from APOG who would go to the meetings and um, be a participant, which was a real honor to be, you know, considered part of that. And I give a lot of credit, well, not only to Becky, but also to Hal Lawrence, because he was very forward thinking as far as usually other practitioners. Um, and he stood up for us many times. Many times. Yeah, he he deserves a lot of credit. He he was executive vice president of ACOG, I think, for a number of years, and so his influence really um, was pretty far-reaching. So that actually goes into, I guess, one of my questions is, who were the people who you know throughout this whole process who helped you the most? You know, what what roadblocks did you have? I think Ellen Rathbun at the AAPA was a great resource for us. 
Um, all of the all of the PAs who <laughs> volunteered during the those early years, and there are too many to name, but um, you know that people devoted a lot of their free time to helping um, APAOG get off the ground. Um, and then we had some support from pharmaceutical companies that really helped us financially and allowed us to um, have a little space to get organized and even supported us for a couple of meetings so that we could all get together in the same room and really work on how to take the organization Linda, forward. Barb, do you have anything to add? I was just going to also comment that the um, Association of Reproductive Health Professionals was another organization that we got involved with through um, meeting people through ACOG and AEPA and our organization. And it seemed, you know, Becky or Linda and I both served on their board. They had nurse practitioners um, on there and nurse midwives on their board, but they did not have a PA. So we spoke to that. We're immediately mm-hmm. <laughs> recruited and um, and I... And uh, so a PA stayed on that board, and that was very helpful too, just to raise the, uh, again, to raise the the uh, awareness of PAs in women's health. I also appreciated uh, Greg Thomas, who was a vice president of AAPA at the time, uh, organized an AAPA speaking bu- speakers bureau, and we were able. Uh, Becky Barb and I were all on that speaker. Bureau for Women's Health, and we were able to have a lot of contact with PAs throughout the United States who were interested in women's health and uh, through going to the state meetings and giving talks. Uh, so I, I always thought that he was very helpful. Agreed. <laughs> and you can delete this later, Morgan, but he always... He always what? He was. <laughs> I said, you can delete this later, but he always, um, the Greg, always called us the divas, the three of them. Well, they treated us very nicely, didn't they? They would oftentimes find a suite that it was available that for the three of us that, you know, they had been comp because of AAPA meeting or something. So we were treated oh, royally. Oh, that's lovely. And we gave Greg quite the hard time because he would frequently come and would run the check-in desk. And... Afterwards, he would say, you know, everybody gave such high rankings to the the lecturers. Nobody ever said how good the desk boy was. (laughs) (laughs) We called him desk boy. Yeah. You need to give him a little review slip. Five stars. Right. Smooth check-in process. Because he was. (laughs) Now, were there any roadblocks that, that you experienced? We always left everything difficult to oh. <laughs> She did it all. We probably don't even know. I was going to say, yeah, first pre- first president. Yeah, she just had it all organized. But I think it's really hard to organize a group of people when they're so spread out physically. I mean, if you've got a, when we, we had 150 members and it was 50 states. So basically that's about three people per state. and. Um, I mean, I didn't know any other OB-GYN PAs in my state. Uh, and so I always felt like it was hurting cats to try and get some mm. consensus. And you'd send, even when email became available, you'd send out a blurb and say, 
I kind of needed a consensus opinion on this and you wouldn't hear from anybody. I think that was the biggest challenge that we had at the beginning. Um, the newslet, the first newsletter editor oh my gosh. lived in Alaska <laughs> and I lived in Wisconsin. Barb was in Illinois. We had three or four board members on the East coast. We had people who were working different hours. Um, people had families and children and other responsibilities. So people would get really excited at the meeting. And then as time goes by, you get really busy with your life. And it's just hard to find time to devote to everything. So it, it was kind of a challenge to get, as Linda said, it was difficult sometimes to get consensus and it was difficult to even schedule a conference call and find a time where everybody could be there uh, wasn't easy. Yeah, there was no Zoom. No Zoom. <laughs> or Zencaster. Yeah, no. there was nothing. nothing like that. Yeah, I also found funding was a problem when I became, I was the third president, Becky was the first, then Barb, and then I was the third president. And I think Becky did five years and Barb four years, and then I was a president for three years. We were getting smarter <laughs> as we were going. Um, <laughs> This, the funders that had been so good for Becky and Barb basically dried up when I became president. And so I had to find different funders and got much smaller quantities of money instead of a big chunk from uh, Ortho, which had been so good for so many years. Uh, so that that was one of the bigger issues. I mean, it was communication and then funding were the, probably the two biggest issues that I had during it's my presidency. It's interesting and a, and a pleasure to be able to have three past presidents in one conversation. Were there any, and you mentioned, you know, one difference as far as, you know, the amount of funding. Did, did you have similar goals, different goals during your time? I'll, I will try to answer part of that. Oh, if yeah. You'd like. Anything you want to say. Um, as I, I may have mentioned that I have the, the book you know, that has minutes from a lot of the old meetings. So I was able to kind of go through that. And what did surprise me is that a lot of our goals were mm -hmm. the same. We had made a lot of progress towards them as I read from one year to the next. But the goal of providing medical education to our members and to other PAs in our field, you know, that really didn't change. But how we did it, did change quite a bit. And then public relations, where we reached out to other associations of healthcare professionals and publications and so forth, that, that goal really um, remained the same. Fundraising was always an issue. How are we going to sustain the organization? Um, and then another one that we haven't mentioned was working with PA programs who were having more and more trouble as time went on offering good rotations in women's health for their students. And that is something that APOG tried to help with as much as possible. It's interesting. A lot, a lot of the things you mentioned, like you said, they're, they're common goals because they're, they're things that our community needs. And I, I think that that's something that's, that's always going to be true. Now, Linda and Barb, do you have anything to add? No, I would agree. And I think that often letting our members know that these rotation sites were needed or even um, for our 
officers to know and the board of directors to know um, what um, PAs had helped in the past and then heading, you know, sort of referring them to the programs and stuff. I think the programs were very appreciative of that because I think they still struggle to find rotations. No, and that's definitely very true. I can really only attest to, you know, my experience in school, but, you know, even being in in Philadelphia, which is a very medically dense city, a lot of different schools, a lot of hospitals, it was still really tough to find, you know, women's health rotations. There was a president uh, named Sylvia Chen quite a few years after Becky Barb and I who came in and her goal was to start a PA OB-GYN residency or PA OB residency. She wanted to train PAs to uh, deliver babies. And and she did accomplish it. It did not last a long time, but she she reached her goal. But I don't think Becky Barb and I would have ever even had a goal that was that lofty. It was very impressive. <laughs> and I'm I'm so impressed now with the uh, the launch of the online journal. Um, that's something that we wouldn't have dreamed of. Um, I don't think back at the beginning, we, we were doing well to get a five page newsletter out once a quarter. Um, so the idea that a POG now has a, a journal or, or will have one is fantastic. And it, I'm just proud of the organization. Well, I mean, to be fair, on. you guys were doing a lot <laughs> those, uh, those early years, I can imagine. There, with um, few presidents after the three of us, then there was an attempt. Well, maybe it started with Linda too. About um, we would we would provide speakers and and um, make recommendations for the APA conference. But there was an attempt to have our own conference of just um, OBGY. I mean, of just women's health topics and a freestanding conference. And that was a struggle because of again funding, getting the speakers. Um, getting it organized. And um, I don't know where the current organizations, I suppose with COVID, it hasn't even been possible, but um, whether they, Morgan, do you know, are there still, are there meetings that are separate from the AAPA conference? Yeah. So we have our own, I mean, I've been on the, I've only been on the the board for a year now, Um, but we've had, I mean, last year we had one, it was all virtual. And I think this year we're slating on having a virtual and in-person uh, option. Perfect. We had, didn't we have three in-person meetings? I actually found brochures for four when I went oh, okay. through the box in my basement, um, starting in 2007. So they were all very well received and an incredible amount of work. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they were. We had three in Atlanta and one oh. in Las Vegas. Oh, and the Las Vegas one is the one where we did the style show, right? Barb, you have to tell everybody about the style show. The st- I was going to say the style show. Please share. <laughs> well, there's a certain, um, what what would you call it? The type of clothing that Becky, had, very high-end, beautiful clothing and stuff. And Becky and I found out that there was an outlet and a store in Las Vegas. So it's like, okay, we're going to be there. Our members are mostly women, but there are men who are interested in fashion as well. Wouldn't it be fun at our, um, this was at the, um, at, at our own meeting to have a separate event 
um, a luncheon. So we did that. And, and um, we had, so that particular store that we contacted was more than happy to bring models of their own. In fact, one of them was someone famous who it was, um, she was Miss Nevada or something, Mrs. Oh. Nevada, maybe. She came and modeled and then they had uh, the runway, they, the hotel helped to set that up and, um, and then have the models. And then we had they provided door prizes, which was shopping at their stores, which were not far away. Anyway, it was really fun. And we had a huge response, you know, like, just like if you feed them, they will come while well, this was lunch. And if you provide show. the fashion, and <laughs> provide the fashion, they'll come. People loved it. It was just very, and it, it was the talk of the meeting. So that's fantastic. It was really fun. Barb is our resident fashionista. And she oh, yeah. also <laughs> provided us one year with the idea of having um, shirts with our APOG logo. So we had a um, polo style. And then I think a year or so later, we had a tank that was available, which I still have, you know, encased in plastic for posterity in the archive. <laughs> in the archive. Teal. Oh, and they were teal. Right. That's when we picked our color, teal. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, and membership mm -hmm. pins, we had those. Um, so just, to, you know, all this little fun stuff to make us our own. Exactly. It's not, a, it's not official to have a pin, right? A pin and a pen and a, and a T-shirt. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other right. fun memories <laughs> that, that stick out when you think back to not just the early years, but even, you know, like you said, you, you all have been – close friends since this all began. Any any APOG related stories you wish to share? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Yeah. The artificial artificial fun tans? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we met at Becky's one year, just the three of us. And that was in Florida. And both Becky and Barb have very pale skin and we decided we should go get artificial spray suntans because they couldn't oh. be out in the sun. <laughs> to look like we'd actually been in Florida. So yeah. we looked like orange smurfs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and the oh, best part was that we went shopping over at TJ Maxx or Marshalls or someplace like that afterwards, and everything we tried on had that same orange hue to it. Everybody else had oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah it led to lots of shopping junkets because uh we would be maybe speaking at a meeting maybe all three of us would be there at some of the wyeth was another company that was very uh, supportive of our group and um so but from that they got some great speakers so that it was good for them they would put on these huge meetings in um like this one I'm thinking of was in New York City in the Marriott Marquis and um, right on Times Square. And they would invite, because what the company would do was invite other, mostly PAs, but also nurse practitioners and nurse midwives or anyone interested in women's health hmm. that was a PA would be invited, um, that was in that specialty. I suppose there were some physicians there too. I don't know, but, but they would have all PA speakers and then we would, put on a six hour program. It was, I believe that the participants did not have to pay at all. They were just invited and included parking lunch. Um, it was for a full day. It was amazing. And it was always, I mean, they had them at Ritz Carlton's and different places like that too. It was always first class. And then 
but the speakers, you know, we would have each take two topics and then, but then the rest of the time was pure fun. So they would take us to some wonderful restaurants and things like that. And we did uh, several <laughs> shopping junkets on those trips, but um, it, it was a really fun time to be involved because the farm at that time, you know, when the pharmaceutical companies were able to do just a little bit more than they probably can now, they really. So it sounds like it was a mixture of, of work and play. Right. Exactly. There were about 10 people on the speaking board, speakers board. And so we didn't all get to go to all of the meetings. So you'd kind of have a different mix of three people each time, which made it fun. Right. And it was category one. CME, right. which was then free, and um, it was a great opportunity for us to recruit APOG members. Oh, right. So they, we, we always talked about APOG whenever we went to any any meeting and any CME event. So it was um, it was a great recruiting tool for our um, for our organization as well. What? You'd have your speaker's notes and three blank applications for mm-hmm. APOG Say, members. here you go. This is my, my goal for the, for the weekend or the however long. I feel like right. that's part of your your job. I mean, we can, right. we've talked about it a little bit so far as far as, you know, you weren't just president, but you were also, you know, did member recruitment and teacher designer and you know, so many hats you, you had to wear over, over the years. I think it, a PA, that's been the case in general. I mean, not just with APOG, but I mean, I, Barb and I and, and Becky started so early in the field. And when I remember when I was interviewing um, and the, the director said, you know, we don't have approval yet. Uh, because you have to have a graduating class who passes the boards before you can get approval of, for, from AAPA or from the certification. And, and I remember saying, well, I'm, I'm willing to mm-hmm. fight that battle with you. you know, and that was just a commitment that I think you had to make when it was such an early profession. So we've wow. kind of carried that torch all the way through our careers. Yeah, and, and we were often the only PA people had ever met. So you really, Mm -hmm. you really did feel like you um, had to be um, an ambassador, if you will, you know, for the profession in, in almost everything that you did. And there was always a series of first that were happening every year. Um, You know, the, the first PA hired at this hospital, the first PA in this town, the first, PA and OBGYN. Um, so that was really more the norm than the exception. We were typically the first PA a patient ever met. And so you'd spend the first two minutes of every appointment explaining what a PA was. Uh, and, you know, I kind of got so that I'd just rattle that off in my sleep. And then, um, and then by the second and third time, it wasn't a big issue. But for early jobs, you were selling yourself every every patient mm-hmm. i'm curious morgan do you feel that way now that you still have to sell yourself or be an ambassador for the mm-hmm. pa profession which i'm sure you are anyway yeah. but do you feel like your patients know what a pa is yes yeah, so you walk in the room? a lot of the patients that i see i wasn't the first pa in the practice i'm i'm the only practicing pa at the at the time at the in the moment but um 
for the most part, a lot of people have met PAs and various, you know, specialists. They see their nephrology office or cardiology office. There's the occasional patient that has, you know, the questions of, oh, what kind of schooling did you get? Where'd you go to school? Or why, you know, why am I not seeing the doctor today? But I think we have the benefit of, like you said, wearing many different hats and being able to spend a little bit more, at least in my experience, being able to spend a little bit more time with patients to be able to build that trust that a lot of patients have had really positive experiences. So I feel like that's where I have to be grateful for my predecessors where, you know, you all did the the hard work of trying to educate the public and build that trust where now I'm on the the receiving end where I have a lot of patients who are like, oh, I love PAs, you know, they're, they're, you know, always so uh, smart and, uh, you know, trustworthy and we, you know, get along, they really know their stuff. And I think a lot of it is thanks to, to people like yourselves who have laid that groundwork. Well, that's so wonderful to hear because that's what, that makes it all worth it. <laughs> yes, it is. Every explanation. <laughs> Every fashion show, everything. I do remember, I just, just before I forget, because you know I will, to say this, but I remember we were at the national conference. Oh, that was another thing we did. We wore uh, teal-colored ribbons on our name tag so that everybody, we were APOG members. I mean, and it said APOG on it. So then it's like, ask me about APOG. So that's how another way we became identified and and um and separated ourselves um at the APA meetings and we also had some glorious sparkly diva pins which were kind of harder to find it, some of us pinned those on too but i do remember my favorite ribbon was pa before you were born i was before you were born which is probably true for us and you morgan but that, that got lots of chuckles and you know to be able to be in a profession long enough that you can say that is pretty exciting And I think that's why I was so excited to talk to all of you. I think it's so important to talk to people who've been in the profession, not just, you know, PAs in general, but especially in OBGYN who have seen how things have changed over the years or maybe haven't changed so much uh, and who can pass on that wisdom to people like myself. Unfortunately, you know, I think most, at least in my program, we got the initial, you know, PA education and how the career started, but... I think to explain just what it what the experience was like, and like you said, you had to be an ambassador for PAs in general in those early years. It at least it gives me an appreciation for how much work you had to put in the beginning, really, for us to have so much recognition now. There was a lot of resistance to PAs, as I'm sure you've heard, um, but we encountered that um, very, very regularly. Um, resistance from other healthcare providers, and resistance from patients, resistance um, from legislators and insurance companies. Almost everywhere we turned, you know, we had to keep constantly explaining who we were and what we could do, and sort of pushing up against the status quo, trying to get the ability to to do that to to do our jobs to to work in our profession it it was a challenge and i think as linda said you didn't become a pa unless you were willing to fight that fight 
because it wasn't going to be easy. Well, all I can say is thank you. <laughs> you've you've made the, the hard work that you have put into it has made things easier for us who are, are, you know, entering the position now as far as being able to be recognized and not having to say, well, here's, you know, here's what a PA is. Here's why we're important players in the healthcare system. You'll get good education and care from us. It gives us more time to, to focus on, you know, patient care. But it was worth it. You really had to believe in your profession. I have to tell you the story from the physician I worked with. Every time I would switch OB-GYN practices in my 30 years in OB-GYN, it was always because my providers uh, ended up retiring or became <laughs> missionaries somewhere else. And each time the physician I would work with would be 10 years younger than the time before. And so the last physician I worked with was 20 years younger than I. And uh, when one day I was telling him about PAs trying to rebrand themselves and uh, that they officially changed their name to physician associate from a physician assistant and explained the reason why it was challenging getting hired because providers didn't have their own practices anymore and they didn't want the liability. And so anyway, why aren't you called PBs? And I said, PB. And he said, physician boss, isn't that what you all do? And I said, <laughs> I said, no, you're just a little luckier than some of the physicians around. Not everybody has a, a PA who bosses them around all the time, but <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember seeing that on the uh, the survey that AAPA sent out nope. of choices. <laughs> right. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and give us a little insight into the history of APOG. Were there any other stories you wanted to share or anything else you wanted to, to bring up? I'd just say it's been a, a wonderful career. I had so many patients during the years who would say, why don't you go on to medical school? Don't you really want to be a physician? And I told them I would never have had the time uh, to listen to them. I would never have had the status that allowed people to always say, I wouldn't have said this to the doctor, but I'm going to tell you, I've got this problem. And I wouldn't have had the opportunities as a physician that I had as a PA. So it's been a wonderful career. That was perfect, Linda. Perfect. It is. That's exactly it. Would never do anything differently. Having only practiced for a year. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> We really were you really were born after we i mean before we were born <laughs> ah, we were practicing i was gonna say i born. was not born yet when apog was was formed i know i'm a youngin <laughs> i just wanted to jump in i was so excited i said let's get this going <laughs> oh my gosh of course yes well, that about wraps it up for me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode all about APOG's origins. I want to give a huge thank you to Linda Burdett, Barbara Clark, and Rebecca Lehman for taking the time to sit down and chat with me about their lives and their time with APOG. I had an absolute blast. Now, after recording stopped, the four of us ended up chatting for a bit, and they revealed that there used to be a segment of the APOG newsletter called Tales from the Vagina about the oddest things that women health PAs have found 
in uh, the vaginas of patients. Now, among the strangest items included a two-year-old diaphragm, the end of a child's baton, a green bell pepper, and an entire head of garlic. Now, I can only imagine what those office visits must have been like. If you have your own tales from the vagina, feel free to share it with us. Who knows, maybe we can make an episode sharing your stories. But until then, you can tune in next time where I'll be reviewing the pathophysiology of the menstrual cycle. You can find all the resources for this episode in the show notes, as well as links to our episodes on APOG's website, www.paobgyn.org. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, or anywhere podcasts are found. You can also follow APOG on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at APOG or APAOG to stay up to date on all the cool things we're up to. And lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It really makes a difference in our visibility and it would mean the world to me. Well, that's it. That is the end of my pandering. Until next time, stay safe, tell someone you love them, and bring a little kindness into the world. Bye-bye.